Thank you, Ashley, for ministering in music. I'm going to comment on what we'll be discussing, not tonight, but next Sunday night and for you know, a few Sunday nights after that. All of us, whether we like to admit it or not, are compared in Scripture to sheep. We're like sheep in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as sheep, we need a shepherd. So we're going to be discussing, I don't know if this is a word or not, sheepology. You know, what it's like to be a sheep, but then also the fact that we need a shepherd and those who have the gift of shepherding, what it looks like to shepherd and care for sheep. And even shepherds are sheep. So I'm a shepherd, but I'm a sheep. And I need someone to be caring for me. And we'll be looking at some scripture in relation to sheep. We'll be discussing what sheep are like, what real sheep are like, and then draw contrast to we humans and what we humans are like as sheep and how we need to be shepherded by Christ and by other individuals. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness in working in our lives. We thank you for giving us your word in the body of Christ as we just consider several items tonight in relation to what I would call bedrock items. You might minister to us. We'll draw close to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I think it was several Sunday mornings ago, would have mentioned it last Sunday night also, we looked at what I call an illustration of what should be core as it relates to a local church in our lives as believers. God's glory is foundational. Creator God and God's image is very, very critical. Christ alone, the gospel very, very critical. And then in the pyramid itself, we have in Christ, who we are in Christ. It's not about us. We can't live the Christian life. We're in Christ. Relationships among us as believers are so very, very important. Pastors and elders, I think we could also include deacons there who are qualified, who love God and striving to walk with him. Then the home, parents, marriages, children are being good or moving in the correct direction and in a relationship in the world. And last week I mentioned that there's two items that I think are bedrock that may even go below God's glory that need to be just there. And they are family is God's primary small group. We discussed that last week. Family is primary, God's primary small group whether that be a marriage, whether that be parents and children, or whether it be parents and children and grandparents, extended family, and so on. But family is very, very important. Secondly, local flocks, local assemblies, local churches are important for transformation. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a few moments. Local churches, local flocks, local assemblies are very, very important. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Paul's discussing the glory of the new covenant. He is writing to a local church, writing to the church in Corinth. And he discussed in his first letter to the Corinthians concerning one another's, how the body relates. In the second letter, he discusses how the body relates. But he particularly touches on Christ. Pick up with reading in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters and stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of its glory. Fading though it was, would not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with their surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory... How much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Paul is basically comparing the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, with Christ. And he says the ministry that brought death came with glory. How much greater will the ministry of the Spirit be? The ministry that condemns was glorious. How much more glorious will that be which brings righteousness? And he's contrasting Mosaic law with Christ. He goes on in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Contrasting the old covenant, Mosaic law, with Christ. And he clearly states in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. I don't know if you have ever interacted with someone and then the person was kind of taken out of your life for years. And then you see them again and you say, well, they're the same old person. Or you may say, my, they have changed. And Paul is talking about the fact that through Christ, through the body of Christ, there's to be a transformation taking place. We don't remain the same. There's change, transformation, becoming more like Christ. And the local church is very, very important for that to be a reality. I find it interesting to go down home. Might talk to someone that I haven't talked to in years. 
some of them went, on, went to high school with, and some of those guys were believers. I just observed people, and I think, did they change, or they're the same old guy? God wants us to be transforming, but for that transformation to take place, not only is the family the primary small group, local assemblies, local churches are God's means for transformation. Take our Bibles and look at Acts, Acts chapter 20. Paul had ministered in the city of Ephesus. Paul wrote a letter later on to the church in Ephesus, and they were maturing in faith and love. Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, and by that time, He said, you've lost your first love. They had other good qualities, but they have lost their first love. But in Acts 20, (coughs) Jesus, or I should say Paul, not Jesus, Paul is speaking to the leaders, the elders in Ephesus. We'll pick up with verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Again, he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. And he says in verse 28, Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now he clearly says to the leaders in that church, Keep watch over your own selves. Okay, I as a shepherd need to keep watch over myself, how I live, how I respond, how I think, what values, what priorities I have. That comes before being concerned about the flock. My character, my being, my lifestyle is critical. That is true of church leaders. But he says, also keep watch over the flock. Now next week we'll discuss sheepology some. But sheep are prone to wonder. You don't have to teach them to do that. That's their nature. Sheep get into all kinds of trouble. I'm not sure I should use this word, but I'm speaking what someone that knows sheep quite well, he would so that sheep are stupid. Now those items fit me because I'm a sheep. They fit you if you're a sheep. You know, we're prone to wonder. We get in all kinds of trouble. When I say stupid, that might be too strong a word, but, you know, we just don't do too well on our own. And what does Paul say? Keep watch over yourselves. But he also says, keep watch over the flock. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
We struggle with that. We need shepherds who will guard us. Who will say there's a danger coming up over here. Hey, you're wondering. You got yourself into a mess. I'll help you out. You need some guidance in this situation. You say, I don't need that. Then we get into trouble. We need the local body. He also says, be shepherds of the church of God. It ties in with keeping watch over the flock, but just as a shepherd will care for sheep, he's saying to the leaders in Ephesus, you're to care for believers within the church. You're to shepherd them. You're to care for them. Just as sheep are prone to wonder, a shepherd goes after them, you're to go after them. Just as sheep need guidance, you're to guide people. You're to shepherd them. See, as sheep are cared for, what happens? They do well. They're transformed. They're changed into greater and greater Christ-likeness. I better show the other side just a little. I said, you know, sheep are prone to wonder and so on, but sheep also follow the shepherd. That's a good quality. And they hear his voice. So when Paul says to these leaders, shepherd the flock, he's saying, lead them. He says in verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Savage wolves, false teachers are going to come in and they're going to try to destroy the flock. You need a shepherd to kill those wolves. And I say kill them, you know, take care of them. Verse 30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Shepherds are to watch and care for the flock. Now let's go over to Hebrews chapter 13. As the writer of Hebrews gives some concluding exhortations, and his whole emphasis throughout Hebrews has been Christ is better than, Christ is better than, and genuine faith perseveres. In Hebrews 13 and verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Remember your leaders. He's talking to believers and he says, remember your leaders, your elders, who spoke the word of God to you. (coughs) Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Sheep, look at the shepherd and imitate the shepherd. That's why I said earlier that shepherds need to guard themselves because they are able to say to their sheep, follow me. And he's saying to believers, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. 
Writing to believers, obey your leaders, obey your elders, obey your shepherds, and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Okay, I am to shepherd my wife, Ruth Ann. And sometimes Ruth Ann will say, Dan, what about this? And I give a response to her. She's responsible for accepting that and following that. That's her responsibility. But I'm responsible for what I said to her. See, sometimes as sheep, we don't like what a leader may say or counsel they may give and so on. And we may resist. The writer of Hebrews is saying, obey, submit. They keep watch over you as men who will give an account. Again, the shepherd, the sheep relationship. And I realize shepherds may go astray. And I think they need to be confronted and someone in the church or someone's in the church needs to take action. But in the normal routine, shepherd-sheep relationship. But I want you to notice, in the middle of that verse, he says, they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Whether I like it or not, I will stand before Christ one day And I will give an account for how I've led this church for almost 38 years. That stops me in my tracks time and time again. That I better not be too quick to say, let's go this direction or give counsel to this person or to the next person without being confident. It's scriptural and in Christ. See, Ruth Ann is not accountable for arguing with me and trying to get me to give in to what she might think. She's accountable for following, but I'm accountable for what I say. But again, he's talking about the sheep-shepherd relationship. He's talking about leaders leading, caring for the flock, loving them, and sheep following Sheep follow, choose to be fed, choose to be shepherded. Godly local flocks, local assemblies display reconciliation in God's way. If local flocks, assemblies fail, everything else suffers deeply. Unless we start with local flocks, assemblies, and continue with local flocks, assemblies, I think we're deceived. God has no backup plan. Go back to the day of Pentecost and the early church began. The early church had some problems. You get to Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where Jesus speaks to the seven churches. As he speaks to the seven, five of them, he said, you got some issues you need to deal with. But he continued to work through local churches. And as you look down through church history, local churches had problems time and time again. We continue to have problems. But God says, I have no backup plan. That's my plan. No, I want to use local assemblies. See, God's 
would say local flocks, assemblies, churches are God's primary means for the following. Equipping sheep, equipping believers for 24-7 living. See, within the local church, as pastor elders teach, as believers practice the one another, as believers care for one another, sheep are equipped for daily living. Believers are equipped for daily living. Ephesians 4, particularly verses 14 through 16, we find that Paul talks about, earlier in the passage he mentions, about God giving to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers so that the saints may be mended. Ruth and I got married over a little over 42 years ago, and I'll freely admit that I was pretty dumb when I got married. You know, dumb in how to relate to a woman. Why was I so dumb? I'm not blaming anyone. Part of it was that I really wasn't equipped to be a husband. I needed someone to come alongside, and I needed someone after the first couple of years of marriage to come alongside me and say, Dan, you did what? told you your wife you loved her and you get married and you didn't tell her in the last two months that's not the way it works you need to tell her every day probably 55 times every day plus 200 on top of that you talking to your wife yeah how much oh a word here and there not going to cut it Dan you need to talk to her a lot Fifteen words a day cuts it? No. When's her birthday? Sometime in the spring. Dan, you better learn to remember your wife's birthday. You know, that's important to her. You see where I'm coming from? We need shepherds. We need the local church. We need one another to equip us how to live. You go off to your job, whatever age you are, and you're on the job. The body of Christ is to equip you, whether it be through the family, whether it be through other believers or through the teaching of Scripture, how to respond and how to live on the job. That's the body of Christ. We need the body of Christ. For that to be a reality, just to live well every day. Some of you may think our nation has some ills. <clears throat> some of you may think our nation does well in other areas. Some of you may like our president. Some of you may not like our president. Some of you may like our governor. Some may not like our governor. But the body of Christ, the local church, is to have a part in helping saints, <clears throat> helping sheep how to live in relation to the government. We need to encourage one another to pray for our government. We need to encourage one another to vote. We need to encourage one another to have good intellectual 
intellectual discussions about what's happening in our country without being critical and tearing down. But that, you know, is part of the local body, just equipping sheep to live in daily life, but also equipping for godly families. If we're honest with ourselves, every one of us have had at least one difficulty in our family that's been pretty great. And I think one, I'm being very generous. (laughs) Difficulties within families are part of life. See, our family gets along just fine. We don't have any difficulty. You don't lie either, do you? We're humans. We run into difficulties. But the body of Christ helping families to be moving in the correct direction. But that means I need to be open. That means we need to be open. We need to share. We need to be willing to hear. But local churches just helping families to be godly. That may be one-to-one. That may be one-to-five. That may be teaching within the local church. Maybe teaching how to be a man or how to be a woman. But the local body helping families to be what God has called them to be. Helping broken families to heal. Helping stronger families to minister to others. Keep in mind the issue is not that we have struggles in our families. <laughs> that began in Genesis chapter 4. No, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. How do we respond to it? Helping us to mend one another. And then the whole issue of what I call body life, the one another's. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to turn there. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He talks about the fact that we need one another. First Corinthians 12 and verse 12, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts. And though its parts are many, they form one body. And in verse 12, he's talking about the physical body. Our physical bodies are a unit. They function as a unit. But there's many parts. He says at the end of verse 12, so it is with Christ. Within the body of Christ, the body is to be a unit, though it's made up of many parts. Verse 13, for we were all baptized. I think he's referring to being placed into Christ by one spirit, not water baptism, but when we trust in Christ, we're placed into the body of Christ. We've been baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. And then he goes on in verses 14 through 26 to say that we need one another. Probably about a month ago, I called a pastor in the area and I said to him, I want to talk to you about something. So I got a question for you. And uh, we talked a little while and then our conversation got on to some other things. When we get done talking, I said to him, I'm not sure I like calling you because it seems when I end up talking to you, you always challenge me about something in my life or my thinking. But I need you to do that. Thank you.
We need the one another's. I need a wife who says to me, Dan, you need to go to the doctor. When I say, ah, don't worry about it. I heard enough. What's another new ache or pain? We'll just chalk it up to another one. No, you need to go to the doctor. I need that encouragement at times. I need the encouragement. You need the encouragement of someone writing a note or verbally saying to you, you're doing well in this area. Keep plugging. Because it's a body. We need someone to say to us, I'm praying for you. Faithfully. In a consistent way. We need one another. We need someone to come alongside us and say, as you go through that trial that's coming your way that you're just entering now, remember, have an attitude of joy. Don't get bitter. Christ is your life. He's at work in you. You come out the other side a stronger person. We need the body. We also need the body to model reconciliation. When I say model it, we grow and we mature. You know, sometimes we think the local churches ought to just be hum along with fine without any problems. I want you to listen to what I read from Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Who is Paul writing to? Believers or unbelievers? He's writing to believers. And he says to this group of believers, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and so on. He goes on to say, now you must rid yourself also of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other's since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new man. He's writing to believers. And he's basically saying, I know you haven't arrived. You've got some issues in your lives. Anyone ever get angry in your family? Anyone want to raise their hand and admit it? How about rage? Years ago, first year I was pastor, I went to a Comforts down at Shemokin. <clears throat> and I was maybe naive. I thought, you know, believers ought to at least try to handle things correctly. And the pastor there said, uh, the board asked me to leave the room for, we were having a meeting, the board asked me to leave the room. They were going to discuss something that pertained to me. And he said, I went pretty far in the church building to another part of the building. And he said, I could hear them screaming at each other. I just kind of shook my head and thought, what's going on here? There was some anger, there was some rage, and there was some malice, and there was some slander. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Live out your reconciliation. We as a body are going to blow out at times on how we relate to one another. But he says, change. Therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever, whatever grievances you may have. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, model reconciliation. 
Ah, yeah, there's Bud and Lorraine. They've been married for many, 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 many years. You know, they're not the same as they used to be. I remember the first couple of years of their marriage. I, I can't say that, but someone may say, I remember the first couple of years of their marriage. Bud was a real wing-dinger. And Lorraine, we won't comment on her. But you know they're changing. That's reconciliation displayed. Reconciliation displayed is when I hurt someone and I go and apologize to them and seek their forgiveness and they forgive. See, reconciliation being displayed is not that we all get along honky-dory and we deny that anything is amiss. It's when we address the reality of what is and we seek to respond in a godly way. The local body of believers is to be modeling reconciliation. I said modeling. We haven't arrived. No church has. But modeling it. But we need other people for that to be a reality. Because we live in a world that is dying to see reconciliation in process. So you're talking to the guy at work or the lady at work. They moan and groan and so on about their mate. And you say to them, let me tell you something. I'm tempted to moan and groan about my mate, and I used to moan and groan about my mate, but you know, God has been changing me. And as God's been changing me, I notice he's changing my mate. I need to stop whining and moaning about my mate, and I need to focus on my own walk with God. That's reconciliation process within the context of the body of Christ. Comments before we wrap it up in prayer. We haven't arrived. We're in process. But I trust we as a body of believers, you as a family, you as an individual, if you were here, we were here a year ago, that we're not there anymore. (laughs) We have moved along. We're in process of moving along. Father, thank you for your grace, for loving us, for working in our lives. We know we haven't arrived haven't arrived. We're a work in process and you continue to work in our lives. We're grateful for that. May we see the importance and necessity of the local body. The necessity of needing one another and interacting with one another so that we may be transformed into greater and greater Christ-likeness. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.